0: Is Jill and I'm a deacon here at Mercy View and today we're reading from Luke 24 verses 1 through 12 but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel
1: Thank you, Jill. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and uh, I just want to um, echo uh, the welcome to our visitors. If you're here tonight and um, this is your first time to hang out with us, maybe your family visiting, uh, your uh, kiddos here in Tulsa, and we are so honored that you're here tonight. Grateful that uh, you've chosen to worship with us um, in the evening on Easter Sunday. And uh, if we can do anything to serve you, we'd be happy uh, to do that. A few weeks ago, uh, my family was at a week-long basketball tournament in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, we had a great time together as a family, watching Ever play ball and hang out. But um, we got to the very end of the week, very last day of the week. um, And um, as we're getting ready, we're in the hotel room getting ready Um, It it was a moment where I I need to put on my glasses, right? I wear glasses, but I take them off when I sleep, like most people. So um, there was a moment where I needed to put those glasses back on. I could not find them where they were laid the night before. But I looked down to the ground right next to this little desk area that uh, uh, the glasses had been set on, and there were the glasses on the ground. I didn't notice it when I first looked at the glasses, but as I began to pick up the glasses and hold them in my hands, I realized they were broken. One of the temples had been bent very badly, so badly that they were unwearable. And I had this instant-like sense of, of dread. This is not good for me. I, I really do need the, these glasses to be able to see. And in a moment, everything changed. The bad news too was that we had a whole day ahead of us. I wasn't really sure how and when I was going to get these glasses fixed, I knew they needed to be. And uh, I knew that what was ahead of me, at least for most of the day, was Brad without glasses. So if you wear glasses, you know how difficult that, that could be. We um, gratefully were able to kind of get done in time to get back here to Tulsa. And I called the first person that I Googled um, on on, on eyeglasses repair, and they said, bring in your glasses. Again, I'm struggling, and to be honest with you, that day, um, I was kind of grumpy. I wasn't a, a really happy camper. There was something about not being able to see that affected me emotionally. But we got back to Tulsa, took the glasses to the, uh, the glass folks, and um, they were able to figure out a way to, to get that temple where it could be so that I could wear those glasses again. And I cannot tell you how happy I was to put those glasses back on on the same day that they were broken. And actually, what happened when I put the glasses on is everything changed again because In a moment where I couldn't see, I now could see. You are just like that. There are things that happen in your life. There are things that happen in my life that in an instant, in a moment, changes everything. Sometimes that's a really good thing. Like maybe it's the birth of your first child I'll never forget when Cooper was born uh, in Franklin, Tennessee back in uh, 2000. It, it, it changed our lives. I also remember um, all of the children's birth in, in our home. There's been a few, and every single one of them, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a thrilling and life-changing event. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. But sometimes the things that are changing in our lives that, that change us are, are, are not good things, right? Uh, some of you this year have lost someone close to you. Losing a, a loved one, it, it changes everything. There's a hole, right? There's, a, there's an emptiness, there's a sadness, a grief that is overwhelming. Things can change in an instant. Over 2000 years ago, there was an event that happened in human history That changed everything. And that's what we're here to to talk about tonight. You've heard it said by many, but this is Easter Sunday. And what we come around tonight and what we celebrate tonight is that the person of Jesus, who was laid in a tomb, rose again on Easter morning. And we're going to talk about why that changes everything, and it actually is the most significant thing that has ever happened in human history. It's more important than me meeting Holly and our lives changing forever. It's more important than even the saddest thing that's even happened to you. It is the most significant, important event that has ever happened in human history. And if it's true, it demands a response. Like, If it's not true, we could sort of just set it aside, go on with life like normally, right? But if it's true, if it actually happened, it has implications, it has significance, we have to sort of face up to it and respond to it. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Because if it's true, it matters for you personally tonight. In fact, it's, it's because it's the most important thing that's ever happened in human history, to leave here tonight without doing business with the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus would be a travesty. In fact, it would literally be a grave mistake. So if you have your Bibles, keep them open to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. That's where we're going to begin uh, this evening and make our way through one of the four uh, descriptions of that morning. Um, There are, if you're new to the Bible, if this is your first time to the Bible, um, there are four gospels in the New Testament. It's the first four books, and this comes from one of those gospels from uh, uh, Luke. Luke was uh, one of the apostles of of Jesus, one of the ones that was with him and walked with him and followed Jesus. Uh, Luke was also a a doctor, and uh, one of the things you'll notice about the book of Luke is there's a lot of really helpful details. This is coming from a physician I know we've got some medical professionals among us here, and so you'll appreciate this, but uh, um, very much so helps us get our heads and, and hearts wrapped around some of the, the real historical realities of even what we're talking about today in the, in the resurrection. So if you would, look with me beginning in verse 1, and as we enter our, our story uh, this evening, what you need to know about this scene and what's happening is that there are some women coming to the tomb of Jesus where they had laid Jesus, and it's about 6 a.m. in the morning. And as they are coming to the the tomb, you may remember that uh, the reason why they're coming there is because two days before this, Jesus was crucified and removed from the cross, and he was actually so close to the Sabbath that those that were there that were Preparing his body actually had to do it fairly quickly. They weren't able to do the full preparation because uh, Jewish people uh, don't work on the Sabbath. They that would have constituted as as work. In fact, if you look back at chapter twenty three of Luke, you'll see that the the, the preparation that they um, that they did for Jesus um, it was just some spices that were applied to him, but not the kind of full treatment that one who loved somebody would give them. And so these women who were devoted to Jesus are coming to the tomb to like complete the entire process of, of preparing Jesus' body. Now in Mark sixteen three, another one of the gospels, one of the things that the women talked about on their way to the tomb was how in the world are we actually going to get to Jesus? They had heard that there was a big stone in front of the, the tomb. They, they knew that there were guards that were there uh, in front of the tomb. And it was a good question because it would have been impossible for them to actually attend to the body of Jesus unless they could get into the tomb. But nonetheless, they're headed to the tomb of Jesus. And then look at verse 2 in, in Luke 24. When they arrive, what do they find? They find that their worries about being able to get in the tomb... They don't need to be worried about that anymore because the stone had been rolled away. And when they look inside, Jesus' body is not there. Now, Jesus' body um, was placed there. They knew that. And so this created a, a moment for them uh, in the scriptures here. Luke records this by saying that, that it created this moment of real confusion for them. He uses the word that they were perplexed. Now, the women come to that, that tomb that morning because they're coming to help finish the preparation for Jesus. In other words, they're not coming to the tomb that morning looking for a resurrection. When Luke tells us that they showed up with spices, they were bringing things that meant to, to yes, honor Jesus, but really also for this reason to stave off the stench of death or maybe we could say it this way when they came to the tomb that morning they weren't looking for a miracle they were looking for closure they were looking for the same kind of thing that that you and I look for when we go to a funeral they were they were coming to to really come to a place for themselves where they could sort of close that chapter of their story and move on they were not looking for a resurrection. Now, jump with me if you would down to verse 10 of Luke 24 in your Bibles. Verse 10. Here we find the, the women that first came to the tomb there now taking the information that they had, had just observed to the apostles. And they are going to the apostles to tell them what they haven't found, right? And and how did the apostles respond? Well, the disciples, remember the ones who had walked with Jesus intimately, these are the ones who would have heard from Jesus himself both in, in, in subtle and overt ways, like Jesus talked about his resurrection, it wasn't, that wasn't like something they wouldn't have had a category for. But these same disciples respond this way to these women, let me just read what it says, it says that these words seem to them an idle tale and then this is even more stark and they did not believe them in other words the men who had walked with jesus thought that the story that the women were telling them the same story that jesus would have told them before to was was false it wasn't real in essence they thought it was too good to be true now look with me if you would at verse 12 in luke 24 after hearing the story of the empty tomb from the women, Peter, Jesus' right hand guy, the guy that said, I'm going to follow you no matter what, ended up denying Jesus. Jesus predicted that in Peter's life. He was so intrigued by what the women had told them, he thought, I'm going to go check this out myself. And so Peter makes his way to the tomb, and, and it says that you heard this at the very end of the passage we read tonight. He marveled. At what had happened. Now, this is a little bit of um, sanctified imagination on my part, but as I read this passage at the very end here, I-, I read it to say this: It looks as if Peter merely peeks into the tomb. He he doesn't seem to go all the way in, and, and it's as if he couldn't bring himself to come right up next to the miracle. All that he could bring himself to do was sort of peek in from the outside because I think in some sense, he couldn't let his heart entertain the idea that his hopes could be crushed again. In other words, somebody had stolen Jesus' body. The, the thing that Jesus even said about himself, hey, I'm going to rise again, the, 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 the hopes that that maybe wasn't true, I, I think that that was really hard for, for Peter. Peter. Now, what do we see in the response of the women, uh, of the apostles, and even Peter as one of the apostles here uh, in this story? What was it about the resurrection that seemed too good to be true? Again, I I think maybe they were afraid to entertain the idea that this could be real after the horrifying events of watching their leader and their savior be crucified on a cruel cross two, two days before. You, you could understand that, right? If you were in their shoes, you probably would have some of those same kinds of feelings, those same kinds of fears, those same kinds of worries. And I think if we're honest, we would feel that way. Yes, these folks had walked with Jesus, they had followed Jesus, but now you're telling me that this Jesus is actually alive? Like we saw him die and you're saying that he is alive? This brings me to the one big thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, it changes everything. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, like it really happened, it changes everything. And so I want to tonight with the time that we have left, look at really three things that if true, would make the resurrection of Jesus the most important event in the history of the world. So first, if true, it means this, Jesus has truly redeemed us from our sins. In Romans 4, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus' resurrection was essentially the verification of something. And here's what it verified. It verified that the resurrection of Jesus, um, as Jesus rises from the grave, it means that God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice as the payment for our sins. Think of it this way. When you're asked to show if you really did purchase the stuff that you bought at Sam's, this happens to us all the time, every time, everybody has to do this. What do you show them? Yeah, you show them your Receipt. What is the receipt? The receipt is proof that you paid for what you're walking out of the store with. The resurrection is exactly like that. The resurrection is proof that God has received the finished work of Christ as the settlement for the debt that you and I owe because of our sin. Actually, if you look down at verse 21 in in Luke 24, we didn't read this earlier, but you you notice the story that that we have two disciples. They're walking down that dusty road to Emmaus. It's later that afternoon of of, of Resurrection Sunday, and they're talking to what they saw as a stranger. The stranger, by the way, was Jesus, Uh, but they're talking to him and explaining to him what their hopes had been for Jesus. The one they're talking to, and essentially they say to him, "We were hoping that this Jesus was going to be our our, our ticket out of, of of political and 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 just like uh, leaders oppressing us. We we just thought this was our way out politically. And the Old Testaments, uh, the Old Testament prophets had promised a deliverer." But these two disciples and many had misunderstood exactly what kind of redemption, what kind of deliverance Jesus had come to give. They they are even saying here they thought it was going to be a political redeemer. And for a while, I think even during the earthly ministry of Jesus, to many it looked like he could do that. That was what he was doing. But when Jesus died, they assumed that he had failed in that respect right? The redeemer of the world couldn't die, right? The political uh, freedom person that, that Jesus was supposed to be, uh, they can't pass away. They're supposed to overcome that. But don't miss this. And this is the point here. The, the resurrection showed them that Jesus was up to some, something different, a different kind of redemption. See, the Old Testament prophets also taught something very important. They also taught that because of our sin, there is now a penalty. Even all the way back in the very first book of the Bible in in, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God said to our first parents, here's the boundaries, here's sort of the the rules, here's what this is going to look like for you to honor me and to worship me. And we know that our first parents chose to disobey what God had asked them to do. And because of that, God said that the soul that sins will die. Because at its very core, sin is rebellion. But it's not just a rebellion like if you're a parent here and you have kiddos that they just sort of like they don't listen to you or you've asked them to do something and they reject that or defy you and do whatever they want. It's, it's not like an earthly kind of relationship where there's rebellion, Whenever man rebelled against God, you could correctly and appropriately categorize it as cosmic treason. And cosmic treason means that, that um, as Adam and Eve are representing all of humanity spiritually, when they disobeyed God, they were saying, and this is what happens as we're born into the world, as we inherit this sin nature, we want to be in charge, We want to be our own God. We don't trust God to lead us anymore. In other words, what happened in the garden wasn't just a mistake. It wasn't just a misstep. It was a mortal sin against God, the God of the universe, and it brought to all of us the curse of death. Now, on Good Friday a couple nights ago in this room, we remembered the cross of Jesus the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 that on that Good Friday God laid on him Jesus the iniquity of us all and the price for our peace would be put upon his head and Jesus did receive that very thing on many that many many Good Fridays ago on the on the cross Jesus redeemed us from that curse, by taking our sin, your sin, on his back. He took the iniquity of us all, and thus, through that act of sacrifice, now has made a way for you and I to be reconciled back to God. The blood that, that Jesus spilled, his own blood on the cross, has now made peace for us with God. See, the death of of Christ was Christ taking the curse of death in our place. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus died, he took the sting out of death. I love that. The sting of death is the curse of death. And when Jesus died, he took the sting into himself. And now, if we will, by faith, receive his grace There is no judgment left in death for us. We are now redeemed from our sin. We are forgiven. That's why we can sing like we did a while ago, that it is well with our soul. Even as we see the Lord descending, because we have peace with God, we have nothing to fear. We can say and we can sing even that day, it is well with my soul. So first, if the resurrection is true, Jesus has redeemed us from our sins. But second, if the resurrection is true, it means this. There is power for new life now as well. There is an ongoing power that you and I can tap into to to mature and to grow and to change and be renewed and restored in an ongoing way. See, sin not only put a curse over you... It, it released a curse into you. Let me tell you what I mean. You don't have to look very far to know this is true. You can look at your own heart. If I look in at my own heart, I see that this is true. And and this is just true for all of us tonight. It, it shows up in things like addictions or, or hatred towards someone else, selfishness in our own hearts, anger, idolatry, ruined relationships. What is all of that? Well, it means this, in some respect, death is at work in us. But here's what is amazing. About Jesus' resurrection, if true, it means that there is now a power in the world. There is a power, if you're a believer, that is inside of you through the Spirit that can now overcome that and reverse that. In Romans 6, 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, and here's what we're talking about right now, in newness of life. We typically read this passage when we do baptisms here and and, and in many ways the the focus of this passage has to do with the beauty and the sign and the symbol of what baptism is all about. But don't miss what Paul is also saying here. He is saying that baptism is is really sort of the the point that we can uh, show everyone else like God has done something in my life that is new and from this point forward I get to tap into that newness of life through the spirit because of what Jesus has done in his life, his death, and his resurrection. So here's kind of another way to think about it. You can look at the resurrection of Jesus as now the pattern for your own spiritual resurrection. Uh, We sing a song here from time to time called Resurrecting. And you would think the song is about like the resurrection of Jesus, and it is. But it's also a, a song that talks about this truth. Because of the resurrection of, of Jesus, you and I can experience daily, as we walk in newness of life, an ongoing resurrection. What is resurrection? It's newness. It's newness of life. It's, it's, it is life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. See, Jesus is not only able to forgive every sin. He can also reverse, restore, or renew anything sin has ruined. I told you that one of the, the women that went to the tomb, or the women that went to that tomb that morning were coming to, to honor Jesus. To, these were women who were devoted to Jesus. And one of the the women that were were in that group was a a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. And when Mary first met Jesus, the gospel of Mark tells us that she had seven demons in her. Seven. Not one, not two. Seven demons. In other words, what Mark is trying to communicate to us there is that she was consumed by the demonic. She would have been an outcast. Uh, uh, someone that, that, that society would have cast away. She would have been overlooked and forgotten. She would have been thought to be beyond redemption. But in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 8, we see the this scene where this Mary falls at the feet of Jesus and finds healing. And, and don't miss this, by the way. She is the first person Jesus appears to on resurrection morning. And, and I wonder tonight... Uh, you might be like Mary you, you may not be struggling against spiritual forces but it could be a force of another kind an addiction a sinful habit that you can't break a, the, the shame and the guilt of a relationship that you've destroyed maybe it's it's uh you're, you feel like the recipient of, of, of the difficulty in a, a relationship maybe your life feels so hopelessly wrecked by sin You don't really see a way out. And I think Mary says to you tonight, I know. I've been there. I literally had demons in my spirit, but I can testify. If you will listen, listen to my words. There is more healing in Jesus than there is sickness in you. There is more forgiveness in Jesus than there is sin in you. In you. Mary, I think, says to us all tonight respond to his voice. The story of Mary Magdalene is proof alone that because of the resurrection, there is power for new life now as well. So we said that if the resurrection is true, Jesus has redeemed us from our sins. We said that if the resurrection is true, it means that there is power for new life now as well. But lastly, is this if the resurrection is true, It means that one day, every sad thing will come untrue. See, the Apostle Paul, in another place here uh, uh, in the Gospels, calls Jesus' resurrection the first fruits of the new creation, which is another way of saying that it is the taste of what is to come. Back in those days, farmers didn't know if the crop that they had planted was going to turn out. So when those first fruits started to appear, that gave them a sign, a, a signal that, that the rest of the crop was going to be like whatever those first fruits looked like. Now, Just a few weeks ago here in Tulsa, you, you started to see trees begin to, to uh, bud, grass was starting to turn from brown to, to green, and, and flowers were beginning to blossom. Those things are still happening, but all of those things a few weeks ago was, was a sign that spring was coming. And and here we are, spring has arrived, thank the Lord, winter is over, we're moving into some warmer weather, right? But the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is the flower, or the tree, or the grass of the new creation. It is a pointer, it is a hint of what is to come. Now why is it important for us to talk about the future on Resurrection Sunday? Well, let's just be really honest. There is nothing more terrifying, maybe nothing more final, we could say, than death. Some of you have dealt with that this year. You're sitting here tonight broken over sadness over someone that you've lost that was dear to you. Or or maybe you're here tonight and you're afraid of your own death. Death. The reality is that for every single person in this room, death holds steady for all of us at 100%. It's coming for us all at some time. But listen, the resurrection shows us that if we are in Christ, death is not final. And more, there is actually a great reversal ahead. See, the day is coming when God will not only remove the curse of death from our lives, he will also undo the curse that you and I have experienced and felt on this side of eternity. Every injustice, every hurt, every tear will be made new. Revelation 21 tells us that on that day, God will wipe away every tear and make everything new. To use the words of J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, on that day, God will make every sad thing come untrue. And here's what's even more amazing to me. The death and sadness that you and I went through on this side of eternity, on the other side of eternity, will become a part of the story of victory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that in the resurrection, death will be swallowed up in victory. When you swallow something, it becomes a part of you, right? Paul is saying that the pain and the struggle of this life, which seems to be at every turn, becomes a part of our story so that in the end, it is all better for having gone through it. Here's what that means. And some of you need to hear this tonight. One day you can know that you'll see that God has used everything in your life, even the most painful things, the most difficult things, the most agonizing things in your life to make you more like him and to increase your enjoyment of him for all eternity. Let me encourage you, because of the empty tomb, your road doesn't have to end at the grave. If anything, it begins there for those who are in Christ and what follows is an eternity where every injustice, every unfairness, every pain, every tear, every heartache has been made right. So we said that if the resurrection is true, God has redeemed us of our sins. We said that if the resurrection is true, it means that there is power for new life now as well. And we just said that that If the resurrection is true, it means that one day every sad thing will come untrue. Just think about those three things for a moment. It's actually to me no wonder that that the news that the tomb was empty seemed impossible to the first folks that came to it. Some of you might still feel that way tonight, even after hearing about this story, you might be saying, aren't these stories, Brad, that you're talking about, just sort of fairy tales that help people who can't cope with the difficult realities of life. Aren't these just psychological crutches that, that are, are, are helpful to weak people that gives them sort of a, a sense that, uh, um, you know, even though they know deep down that there's nothing after this life, it sort of just gives them this, uh, you know, a sense of peace in the here and now. I actually think those are honest questions. And if I'm honest, I've been a Christian for a long time, I can still struggle with some of those kinds of questions. And depending on what your difficulty may be, as you hear the story of the resurrection of Jesus, even if you're already a Christian like me, there's no way that I could possibly speak to all of the questions that you might have. But here's what I can tell you, that if the resurrection is true, it demands a response. No? Like, if it isn't true, well, we can just go on with life as normal. We can live it up on this side of, of, of death, right? But if it's true, it will change everything for you. Or said another way, if it's true, we can't act like it isn't. If so, I said this earlier, we are literally making a grave mistake, but here's the truth of the matter. We actually have four ancient biographies of Jesus. These biographies were written by eyewitnesses and or based on eyewitness account. And they were circulated while many other eyewitnesses were still alive. And every single one of the biographies all say that Jesus rose from the dead. Even pagan and Jewish writers reported that Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead at at that time. Also, many of the principal eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus died because of their claim that Jesus was resurrected. Their lives would probably have been spared if they recanted, but they believed it had happened. They saw Jesus with their own eyes, and so they couldn't. It must also be said that in the very place where Jesus died and was buried, there was an, an explosion of growth in the Christian movement, which was centered on the claim that the grave was empty and that Jesus had truly risen, and the explosion of growth happened weeks after his death and months and years, and we find ourselves today in the year 2020, and there are approximately 2.2 billion Christians in the world. That is unexplainable unless there is an empty tomb so that's what demands a response. Friends, you can't shake that off tonight. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you can't shake that off. It demands a response. So I'm glad to share with you. We've, we've sort of been saying, if it's true, I'm glad to share with you and I'm glad to share with us all tonight. The resurrection of Jesus is true. And so I wanna ask you to consider something Isn't there something in you that knows that this is the answer to life? Isn't there something in you that that knows that you're not a big cosmic accident, that love and meaning and even things like consciousness are not just biological illusions, that in the end we don't just return to dust and nothingness? Isn't there something in your heart right now that says, this is true, I get it, it seemed like nonsense to the people on that first resurrection Sunday too. But what they eventually came to and found out and, and received is what you might be finding for the first time tonight or maybe rediscovering tonight, and it's this. Jesus really did rise from the dead and everything is different now. Listen, these first disciples were normal people just like you and me and they came to believe in the resurrection of jesus not because they were blindly wishful like they just like we're just going to believe this for for no reason they weren't superstitious but for one simple reason they saw jesus with their own eyes and friend you have the same thing in the gospel accounts of the resurrection we have Four ancient biographies of Jesus that were all written by eyewitnesses or based on eyewitness testimony. And these biographies all say that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, you may not have seen Jesus with your own eyes, but you can see him through the eyes of these. And they all say one thing in unity Jesus is risen. So do you believe it? Are you ready to receive it? You may be here tonight and maybe you came begrudgingly. Someone dragged you here and you didn't really want to be here. But you've now heard the the gospel from the scriptures and you're feeling the tug of what we just talked about a while ago, which is, man, this is true. I implore you do business with the Lord this evening. We're going to have a couple of prayer teams here on the side of our um, communion tables, and those folks would be honored to talk with you about what it means to walk in newness of life, to receive the grace that God has given. So do that tonight. Uh, Get saved. Pray and ask the Lord to come into your life. Some of you may be here tonight, and you're peeking over the fence of Christianity and you, you kind of like what you're hearing tonight, but you're not convinced. That's okay. I want to encourage you to pursue conversation. Those from the prayer team would be happy to help you. I'll be happy to talk with you after the service. But let's talk some more. Let's talk about what may be in the way. What, what's the, what are the things that are causing uh, questions and doubts for you to, to sort of cross over into faith? But lastly, and I would assume this is many uh, of you here tonight, when you've been a Christian for any period of time, Resurrection Sunday for you is about renewing your commitment to live in light of the resurrection in your life. So every single person here tonight has something that they can do. And I want to encourage you to do that in the, the moments ahead. We're going to come to the table partake of communion together. And, and you're gonna hear Corbin say this, but this is, this is like the high point of what we do because what we're doing when we come to the table is we are, are walking in newness of life, we're celebrating that the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus really happened. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, we're proclaiming that when we come to the table. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna take some time come into the table together. And I just wanna leave you with this. The resurrection is true and it demands a response. Let's pray, Heavenly Father.